Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at AntiochChurch.org. Thanks for listening.
And you are the God who prospers. Evil has no claim. And you are the God who builds. Yes, you are the one who saves. And you are the God who prospers. Fervently we intercede. Yes, you are the God who builds. And you are the one who saves. And you are the God who prospers. Evil has no Well, good morning, Antioch. It is uh, so good to be with you again today. And uh, as of yesterday, it is now uh, officially summer. So I've got a couple summer announcements for you. The first is uh, Antioch Kids Virtual Bible Camp. Uh, Linda, our uh, pastor of children's ministry and her team have been uh, working hard to put together a uh, experience for your family to use this summer. Um, it's called The World We All Want, and uh, the idea is that we all know that the world is not the way it's supposed to be, and we also know the good news is that Jesus is on a mission to make everything new, and he wants us to be part of it. And so uh, the Virtual Bible Camp is a four-day online program that you can do uh, whichever week works best uh, with your family anytime this summer. Uh, every day includes Bible teaching videos, worship videos, a craft project, uh, learning activities, and more. So everything will be provided, and it's designed to help uh, you and your kids go deeper into the story of God and uh, his mission in the world. And so you can uh, hit up the events page on Antioch and register your family and uh, get your kids activity pack. And uh, grateful to Linda and her team for putting together a really fun and helpful resource. So the next announcement uh, has to do with uh, our summer plans. And uh, over the last month or so, as Deschutes County has been moving through the reopening phases, uh, we knew that we would likely be able to begin regathering in one form or another. And um, my first choice was always uh, to find a place that we could do a physically distanced worship service outdoors for the summer months. 
And so over the last month, we've been working hard trying to find a spot that would work for that and kept running into roadblocks. The school district isn't working with groups. The city isn't working with groups. So parks and schools weren't working. We reached out to a bunch of other outdoor event spaces and venues and uh, nothing was working. And so uh, a couple of weeks ago, we made the call that what looked like house churches uh, for the summer was going to be our best option. And so we happily embraced that as uh, something that could be a really cool experience and uh, made the announcement a week ago that uh, this summer we would be moving towards a living room liturgy and a house church model uh, as our next phase. Well, I'm here to tell you today that there's been a change of plans. And uh, what happened this week is that one of the venues that we had initially reached out to um, came back to us and uh, said that they wanted to work with us. And uh, initially this venue was way out of our price range, thousands of dollars every week uh, to gather and it just wasn't uh, something we uh, were able to do. Um, but what's really interesting is that they actually checked us out online and they saw that we have been uh, speaking out against racism and white supremacy, and they really appreciated uh, the work that we're trying to do at having this conversation in Bend. And uh, that was part of the reason then came back and said, well, instead of thousands of dollars per week, we'd love to donate use of our venue to your church for the summer months. And so I'm excited to announce to you guys that this summer, rather than moving to house churches quite yet, we are going to be worshiping together outdoors on Sunday mornings at Les Schwab Amphitheater, which, as you know, is the best outdoor live music venue in all of Central Oregon. And there is plenty of room for us to physically distance and uh, it's going to be a beautiful backdrop to come together to see each other to worship uh, together outdoors for the summer so i obviously couldn't be more stoked about this i think it's an amazing uh, story of god's faithfulness and favor and provision and uh, i think you're you're going to be stoked about it as well and so the plan is that two weeks from today uh, sunday july 5th will be our first uh, gathering at Les Schwab, and we will meet there every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for all of the Sundays in July and August, nine weeks. And uh, what it will look like is you bring a Bible, you bring a lawn chair or a blanket for your family. Everybody will have plenty of room to keep their distance, even if you are uh, especially cautious but want to come, you can stand hundreds of feet away in the back of the venue if you want. Um, and uh, we will be able to worship together, to study scripture together, and to uh, practice a form of community and fellowship uh, at a distance. So I'm so stoked, and we are incredibly grateful uh, to the folks at the amphitheater for uh, wanting to work with us. So we'll give you more details in the weeks to come. Um, the, the one thing that does mean is that next week, June 28th, will be a transitional week. So we'll have one last digital liturgy that we'll do. Um, and that Sunday is going to be kind of a, uh, a vision week, a state of the church. And we're going to give you updates on what's happening with our building and our church replanting effort in North Portland and uh, other things like that. And so join us next week for one last digital liturgy. And then starting July 5th, we will uh, be outdoors at the amphitheater worshiping together. And by the way, if you aren't able or comfortable to come to the amphitheater, that's okay. We will be posting uh, those sermons online uh, like we did in the old days.
So praise God, and uh, I can't wait to see all of you together uh, two weeks from today. So um, this morning we're going to continue and conclude our, our series on, uh, on race and reconciliation, specifically pressing into a conversation about whiteness. And um, we've got an amazing guest uh, with us today that I can't wait for you to hear from. And so we'll dive into that in just a few minutes. But uh, first, we're going to uh, come together in prayer. So I'm going to invite uh, Liz Lindsay Hendricks to lead us in our prayers of the people for today. Good morning, Antioch Church family. Let us pray together. God of all mercies, we come to you today burdened with heavy hearts, with anger, with frustration, with a loss of direction and a loss of joy. Renew in us your love that sustains our hope. Help us to remember that your grace is free and for all people. Together, we confess our need for your grace and forgiveness, recognizing that we are all in need of your mercy. Teach us humility to transform our thinking where we need change, to overcome our pride and hard-heartedness, and to enter into the freedom you promise. Help us to recognize our long-embedded false beliefs and be willing to let go of what we thought we knew. When our blindness hinders unity with your people, we ask forgiveness. Teach us to recognize all people as your image bearers. Remind us to have open minds and open hearts and be willing to do what is right instead of needing to be right. We grieve and lament that the church has been complicit in the broken communion in this hurting world. We recognize that your heart breaks for the state of your world today. Prompt us to lament with you and grieve both the loss of life of the oppressed as well as the life-taking oppressors. May we grieve equally. We mourn the violence that overtakes our present reality. Encourage us to seek peace and show us how to heal wounds rather than inflict them. Pour your grace upon relationships between people of different perspectives and points of view, reminding us that we are all image bearers of you, our God. Take our anger at the violence and injustice, iniquities, and systemic oppression, and turn it into something beautiful to enrich your kingdom, and restore peaceful communities, and create alternatives to hatred. Help us to drop our defenses, our swords that we so quickly pick up to fight, when we feel the desire to defend our own agendas. May we be a people who seek first to listen and learn well, with no agenda other than hearing someone else's story. In our broken relationships, show us how to reconcile them. Loving God, be present with all who face serious illness today, especially with the COVID virus. Give them hope and alleviate their pain. Holy God, we praise you and rejoice with you as the Heinz brought home their long-awaited and long-prayed-for baby boy yesterday. All the glory goes to you and their story and guide them to be examples of your love as they, with you, shape and love the life of baby Jackson. We also praise you for baby Bryn Riley as she gets to come home with her family and for Nicole's recovery. We ask for continued healing and protection for both as we rejoice in your precious gift. We delight that we can have hope in the midst of pain because you are the breath of life and the light of this world. On this Father's Day, we rejoice that you are our Heavenly Father. We give thanks for the caring, selfless, kind fathers in our families who reflect, reflect your love to our children and to us. For those who feel sadness, regret, and pain on this day, remind them of your heavenly fatherly love and how dearly you love them as your children. 
Redeeming Jesus, equip us to build up your body and to serve our neighbors instead of tearing them down. Where evil strives to divide us, let communion with you, Jesus, unify and reconcile us and all things back to you for your glory. Remind us that you died on the cross between two thieves and with your dying breath, ask your father to forgive them because they know not what they do. Teach us the, th the faith of the thief on the cross who asked to be remembered when you came into your kingdom and you offered him the undeserving grace that he would be in paradise with you. Remind us that we are the same as the thieves on the cross and yet you love us still and let us re receive your undeserving grace with open arms to show others the same grace and love in return. Jesus, we pray for your Antioch church body and all your church bodies today. Lead us to be a community who does not contribute to the division, but encourages unity. We pray to include and embrace others and not ridicule and place blame. We pray to follow your example of love, of asking both the zealot and the tax collector to follow you as your disciples. Guide us to be your body that works together in common union with you to invite others of all backgrounds to know your love as we are an extension of your love and mercy. Holy Spirit, renew our hearts and move us to faith, lead us to truth and help us to pray. Healing Spirit, be close to us in our powerlessness. Give us friends who can sit with us in times of wordless despair. Bless us with strength to face each new morning, even when we fear it may bring further grief and sorrow. Gather in the broken places with us, your broken people that we might re be renewed in your healing and encouraging spirit. We pray to be a people of inexplicable joy, even as we grieve the current trials we face. We ask all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Lindsay. What a beautiful prayer. May it be. All right, well, we're going to dive in. Dear white people, and I do mean dear. I know this has been hard, uh, frustrating, angering, um, difficult for many of us. And uh, I want you to know that you are dear to me and I love you. And the reason we're having these hard conversations is from a place of conviction about uh, who Jesus is, what the gospel is and uh, what it necessarily looks like to follow him in this world, in this moment. And so uh, we're going to continue our conversation this morning. And um, before we do, I want to just kind of share a scripture with you real quickly. I've been listening to a whole bunch of sermons by uh, African-American pastors and preachers over the last few weeks, just really trying to listen and learn how our brothers and sisters of color are processing and experiencing this moment, specifically within the context of the church. And as I've been listening to uh, lots of uh, these different sermons and preachers, there's this one passage that I've heard uh, multiple times um, all over the country, uh, different uh, African-American pastors are finding themselves in this specific text uh, that I wanna share with you as a way of speaking to uh, their African-American uh, con congregations. And the text is from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 2. And the one verse is verse 18, where it says, A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. 
That's this, this text that I keep hearing preached in black churches around the country. And the context is that uh, this is immediately after the birth of Jesus and King Herod has found out that there is this new so-called king of the Jews that's been born in Bethlehem. And so Herod as the ruler, uh, the political ruler of the day, um, and specifically as kind of this puppet of Rome that's leading the, over, the oppression of the Israelite people, uh, Herod as a sees a threat to his throne, to his power, and he orders uh, the killing or the genocide of every Jewish boy uh, under the age of two, as we know. And so um, the author of Matthew quotes this uh, prophet, Jeremiah, and says that there's this voice heard in Ramah we weeping in great mourning, the person of Rachel representing the voice of the oppressed the grieving of this community over the killing and the murdering of their children. Um, and black churches around the country are identifying with this story, the weeping, the great mourning, the weeping for their children, the refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I've heard this described as black pain. And it's not like this just started in the last few weeks. This didn't start with George Floyd or any of that. This has been going on a long time, deep, deep pain. And so sometimes um, as white people, we would want to say, yeah, we know it's, you've had a rough history here. We know about slavery and segregation and, and all that kind of stuff, but can we just kind of, maybe we should just settle down a little bit. Maybe we should be a little more level-headed or a little bit more nuanced in this conversation, maybe not get so carried away with the protests and all that. And the, the part of this verse that's so interesting to me is that says, Rachel refuses to be comforted. So sometimes pursuing justice looks like refusing to be comforted. Sometimes pursuing God's kingdom on earth means not accepting the brokenness of the world, not calming down, not uh, being okay with easy answers, but continuing to cry out, to weep, and to mourn for the, the way things are. And so I I simply wanted to share that uh, as something that I've been learning and observing uh, as I pay attention to uh, what, what black preachers around the country are experiencing. Um, and, and I think for us, we would do well to listen and to learn and to be able to acknowledge there's a deep sense of pain and suffering um, that's been going on a long time, but in this moment, um, in the wake of all that's happening, um, that this is a community that continues to hurt and to suffer. And regardless of our political perspective or understanding of social issues or something like that, first and foremost, we're followers of Jesus. And when we see brokenness and suffering amongst other image bearers, we stop and we pay attention with the heart of Christ, the compassion of our Lord. And uh, so that's why, dear white people, we are continuing um, to drill into this conversation. And so um, I am so thrilled today to have David Bailey with us. David uh, lives in Richmond, Virginia, but he's joining us live today from uh, Bentonville, Arkansas. 
which is uh, the home of Walmart, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, David is the executive director of Airbomb, which is an organization that equips Christian leaders and communities around the country to effectively engage in the work of reconciliation through training, culture making, uh, leadership development. And uh, David, this is not an overstatement, is one of the most important and influential voices in the country right now uh, when it comes to helping the Christian church in all different forms engage racial reconciliation. And so, uh, David, you've been out to Bend. You came and preached at Antioch for us a few years ago. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but I think you and I first met in Thailand, maybe about four years ago now. And yeah. uh, we're on an anti-human trafficking trip. And uh, it was you and me, Ken Weitzma, Eugene Cho, Leroy, a few others. Yeah. And uh, it was a pretty memorable trip. It really was. It really was. I remember we, we got to share a uh, cup of the world's most expensive coffee. Were you part of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. I had to try it. Yeah, the uh, elephant poop coffee that goes for uh, $10 a cup. Um, crappuccino, as it's been called. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, uh, I remember Leroy and I were going to try to ride tandem on an elephant, but the Thai caretakers took a look at the two of us and, uh, have mercy on the elephant. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, David, we are so honored that you would take the time to be with us today as Antioch continues this conversation about race and reconciliation. And uh, we know we have this shared passion and vision for the reconciliation of all things. And um, yeah. the truth is that uh, reconciliation requires truth. And um, what we say in the world of addiction and recovery is that the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable, right? <laughs> so um, you've been involved in this work of training, speaking, writing, consulting, and reconciliation for many years. This isn't a new conversation for you by any means. Um, yet over the past several weeks in the wake of George Floyd and all the protests happening around the world, it seems like for a lot of Christians in our country, they're kind of diving into this conversation for the first time. And it kind of feels like something new or something shifting or changing. Um, even this weekend, millions of Americans celebrated Juneteenth, who probably never even heard of that holiday until a few yeah, years. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I just want to start by going, how's it going for you, man? How are you doing? What does this moment look like um, through your eyes? What are you seeing um, that's encouraging and concerning? Where, where are you finding yourself today? Well, first of all, man, just thanks again uh, just for the invitation and being able to like hopefully serve your community. Um, I, I was, um, you know, checking out the last uh, couple of weeks of the series. I'm, I'm number three. I saw Jer had um, a thousand views and then Elena had a hundred. That's my colleague. And so I'm like, <laughs> hey, if Jer's getting some people off, you know, get the, 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 I might be at 50. There might be people like 50 people watching right now, 25. So just, you know, talk to your friends and let them know it's not going to be as scary as Jared. Um, there's a role of a prophet, <laughs> you know, Elena came as the, um, the, uh, you know, Jer had that prophet energy. Elena had that pastoral energy. Uh, hopefully I can kind of give you some apostolic uh, energy to kind of help you know how to build some stuff, you know, and, and what to do. And uh, I think you got to have all of that um, 
conversation to engage. Um, and so, yeah, thanks for just starting off the question by asking me, like, hey, how am I doing? You know, um, yeah, you know, I think there's um, a few, it's, it's multi-level, you know I mean? So, you know, we do this stuff, this is what we do 365 days out the week, you know, about the year. And so um, in some ways things aren't different and some things that they are different, you know? Um, so I, I would say one way of it is, is that, I mean, I still experience this as a black man, you know? Uh, so there's a lot of like spiritual practices that I do. Uh, one is um, I don't spend a lot of time on social media. And so like, I find myself being a lot more um, like, I like to, uh, have a decent look on humanity. And I find the more that I watch media and social media, I'm like, man, people are just terrible. Like, you know, and so, um, so I, I actually, and I get a little bit like kind of very apocalyptic and depressed, like watching a lot of social media. So I don't, um, engage in it. It doesn't mean I'm not informed. It means that I'm just spending more time, um, paying attention, you know, and, and, and being able to think deeper and to, kind of um so so i've that's one thing i do to kind of take care of my soul um and then it's just been a lot i mean it's just been a lot of um i mean anytime you see somebody i didn't watch the videos but i did see um the officer on george floyd's neck and i heard about the uh Amon arbery scenario but uh in order for me to to have the grace to be able to do the kind of work that i do like I can't watch the video, but even seeing that image is, I mean, that's trauma, yo. you know, and I think, I think we all have to realize humans aren't meant to see other humans be murdered, mm. you know, and tragically killed. And I think we can um, like not even see that as trauma because we're so used to seeing that type of activity. And so, um, so I've been trying to take care of my soul and just not uh, doing that, but it's just been a lot of people wanting to have conversations, you know, um, and um, many years ago, we started this ministry back in 2008. And so uh, a friend of mine in the advertising industry, when I was just telling him, hey, man, like it's it's a real struggle because people like this is a, a need. And yet folks don't see this in the same way as like building a well for folks, you know, in, in, in a third world country or tutoring a kid that can't read. And I'm like, hey, this is like a for real need, you know. And he said, David, some products are like vitamins and other ones are like painkillers, you know. And for people who kind of see this and want to be proactive, they'll, they'll do some vitamins. Or people that might, like, realize they're having a deficit, then they might, um, you know, treat it as like get a vitamin to supplement what they need in their deficit. But he says, you know, very few people feel that's a painkiller. You know, right now we're at a time where this feels like a painkiller. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I don't know if it's going to go back to vitamin status or if it's going to go to kind of like in this space. But I think in this moment, people are feeling it and they're responding either way, you know, um, positively or negatively. And so we're just trying to help help people move towards, a, at least Christians, mm -hmm. to move towards a kingdom perspective. Because even you can find people who might name the name of Christ, but aren't really doing a Christian thing. You know, like if they're conservative, they're doing a conservative response, not necessarily a Christian response to a conservative expression. If they're progressive or they're liberal, they're doing a progressive response or a liberal response, not necessarily a progressive response or a liberal response 
that's that's going through the filter of uh, uh, kind of a kingdom Christian perspective. And uh, and I, I just think if you put the word Christian on it, like I'm not going to push you on being conservative, liberal, or progressive, but if you put that word Christian on it, then it's like you should be different than the way your liberal, conservative, or uh, progressive counterparts are. Mm. And uh, and that should cause you to be a little more kingdom oriented than than they're acting. And mm. so um, I I don't I find people aren't doing that, you know. And so and and you know we we in our ministry try to at least go down that road and hopefully hopefully we're doing it hopefully we're being faithful but at least that's where we're trying to trying to shoot for yeah oh man i i love that so much and that's one of the things i really do appreciate uh about you and about Erevan, and um that's my heart as well as i'm learning on this topic like we don't want to engage this primarily as what we might call a political issue or a social issue this is a gospel issue or a kingdom yeah. issue and uh, our starting point it isn't what's the conservative view, the liberal view. Our starting point is uh, what's the biblical teaching, what's the heart of yeah. Jesus, and um, let's let's go from there. And so yeah. I I sure appreciate that, man. Um, you've been busy the last few weeks. You've been like on every podcast I listen to or every YouTube <laughs> channel I follow, and you were at Church of the City in Manhattan last week, Q conference, and all kinds of stuff, but. Um, as we've been talking about race and reconciliation at Antioch for the couple, last couple of weeks, uh, it's obviously a topic that uh, elicits strong, not only strong opinions, but also strong emotions, right? Yeah. Some of us process it more cognitively at a head level, and some of us experience it more emotionally at a heart level. And so some of the feelings as we press into the conversation about race and specifically about white supremacy a lot of us feel uh, defensive, or some of us feel angry, or some of us feel uh, guilty or ashamed. And um, like I shared earlier, I know our brothers and sisters of color are experiencing a whole other spectrum of emotions that um, I can't even imagine. Um, we've chosen to stay in this conversation as Antioch because I refuse to prioritize white feelings over black lives, but white feelings do matter. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I haven't traditionally been a big feelings guy. Um, and so sometimes all the stuff that we're feeling right now helps, or it kind of clouds the way uh, we look and engage in this. So help us understand uh, the role of feelings when it comes to the work of reconciliation. Well, I mean, I, I even want to start off a little bit of like, to be human is to, to be emotional. It's supposed to be rational and to be emotional. Mm -hmm. And I think there are places that like we prioritize the rational mind over the like intuitive or even uh, emotional, like kind of like gut and, and, and that, that just, that part that just doesn't get with the cognitive. And, you know, to that's one of the aspects of reflecting the image of God is to be an emotional person. You know, um, rationality is also a part of it, but also emotionalism is also a part of it. And one of the things that's kind of fascinating is, is that like sometimes um, I'm, and I'm in conservative circles. They say like, um, uh, um, you know, liberals are just so emotional, you know, it's, it's, it's an emotional argument. And it's kind of like that. Are you saying that's a bad thing? <laughs> right. Like, like, you know, 
to right. be emotional is to be human, right? Like it's it's to be human. And to be honest, like in conservative spaces, they're emotional too. The the kind of emotion that they're allowed to express is anger and fear, you know, but it's it's not necessarily like they're not being emotional. Like to be human is to be emotional. It's just about which which emotions are um allowed to be expressed. And so I think when we kind of come into, I mean, this is Peter Cesaro's work. He talks a little bit about this, about emotional, healthy spirituality. Um, I, I actually think that part of our problem is that we're coming to the situation uh, kind of arrested, developed as it relates to like our emotional understanding and capacity. Uh, not only there's a lack of information that's out there that people don't really understand and issues of uh, race, class, and culture, and the history of America, and the present realities that we deal with. There's a lack of information, but it's also a lack of emotional maturity to deal with this very heavy information. And so, when you have any kind of conversation, and I think, like as Christians, we need to do, we need to be able to engage in this. And I wrote an article on Christianity Today, kind of naming some of this about the Psalms. And I'd highly recommend y'all like look that up or put in the show notes or something like that. But you know, the Psalms. There's a lot of crazy stuff that you're like, yo, is this a sacred text? You know, like God, like God knew that we were going to deal with stuff that's going to either like cause us to be angry to the point we want to commit violence, uh, um, um, deal with fear, shame, grief, overwhelmness, like all types of stuff. And God gives us language to be able to bring the rawness of our emotion towards God. And so, you know, I want to definitely just encourage people like, hey, to be not only just try to be spiritually mature, be be emotionally mature and um, like stay engaged in this conversation and see what, what is the God's kind of saying and doing. So so that's just a start um, when you engage, when you particularly deal with issues of race, class and culture, uh, emotions of complicated emotions of fear, shame, anger and grief are going to always be present. Uh, you might be fearful of, hey, if I am vulnerable in this way as a person of color, will folks steward this relationship? If I kind of show my true self, will I be rejected? That's a fear that a lot of people of color might bring to the conversation. White people might be like, hey, I might say something wrong or hurt somebody that I care, or I might get publicly shamed, and I'm like concerned about that. That could be a fear that bring it to this conversation. I mean, and that's just like on emotional. I mean, there's also just like a reality of fear, you know, like living as a person of color in this country, like. You know, the last time I got checked for drugs was 2010. I've never, ever uh, 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 used drugs in my life. And um, the only two times that I was conscious of being around drugs was with college-educated white people. Um, and I came after music theory class one time. A guy was stiff and crack, smoking crack. The next time I was in recording school, I saw that they were, um, uh, you know, um, stiff and cocaine and I immediately left you know and the reason why I left it's interesting too I didn't leave because I had the will not to do drugs that wasn't my issue it was not a, a temptation mind by any means I left because if something I wasn't fearful if something went down me as a black guy like I know how it works I mean, me as a black guy is going to take the fall for whatever was happening and um and I just didn't want to be a part of no mess you know and so you know, this is, you know, I should have left because it, like with the primary emotion being the fact that, hey, this is just not a cool place I want to be. But like race 
the way that race works in our minds and psychology as people of color, I left definitely for sure because I was like, man, I could get, you know, something were to go down. If there was any kind of question about some drug situation, I would have to like go beyond, beyond a reasonable doubt to prove that I had every part to do with it. And so, and even that, I still potentially could have got caught to fall. So I just think like, just realizing like, hey, we're all bringing fear to this conversation. We're all bringing uh, grief, this sense of loss. There's five stages of grief and everybody doesn't grieve in the same time, even within the same family, let alone different social experience, experiences, uh, different demographics aren't gonna all go through the grieving process in the same time, afraid, um, place. You know, um, anger, you know, there's righteous anger. You know, there could be some people, like there's anger because there's messed up stuff. There could be anger from different perceptions that's going on. And there's a lot of fearful and angry people in our country right now. And we aren't even fearful and angry about the same thing. It could be the same situation, but different aspects of it. And the lastly, you know, there's, there's shame, you know, like as, as white people, as people of color, and we have to learn how to uh, um, process that shame in a really healthy way see which which type type uh which style's own but then also know that jesus took on our shame and how do we allow that jesus to take on our shame and there's also just public shaming like there's shame that people put on you that shame that you realize like oh man i'm shamed with how my family members are acting or where our country is or how people are acting online or whatever the case may be and so we all really have to be emotionally spiritually mature to handle through this stuff and the reality of it is, is that there's a lot of spiritual and emotional immaturity and we're trying to take on this centuries of problems, centuries of a problem that was in the making. And we have some very spiritually immature and emotionally immature people trying to handle this, this type of thing. And so we got some work to do. We got some work to do. Oh man, <laughs> I appreciate that thought. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, one of the, one of the things that I think has really created a, a lot of different emotional responses is uh, even just this phrase, uh, whiteness or white supremacy, and um, just even talking about to or about white people, I think is kind of um, kind of threatening to, to some of us. Yeah. And it's interesting because some of us, like speaking on behalf of our church and community, uh, some of us grew up in homes where we regularly saw and heard explicit racism expressed or practiced uh, in one way or another, and we've had to unlearn that. Um, but I think most of us grew up in environments where we were taught that the color of someone's skin shouldn't matter. Um, that we've grown up kind of largely in the idea of a post-racial society, um, post-civil you know, civil rights and all that. And so um, the value or practice that we thought was probably the most um, kind of honorable or polite was the idea of colorblindness, right? Yeah. That we're just gonna not talk about race, that it would even be rude to refer to somebody um, by their race or ethnicity or yeah. color. Um, so for some of us, even talking about race or specifically whiteness or blackness, it feels divisive or even racist itself. So um, why do we have to talk about race? Why can't we just talk about reconciliation? So that's a great question, you know, and uh, it's a common question that people ask. And one of the questions that I oftentimes, particularly for the Christian, right, because I'm trying to, and at Airbound, what we're trying to do is trying to help Christians to be a part of this conversation. 
you know, and, and, and do this in a very Christian-like way. And so one question I ask is like, what conversation should we not ever talk about? Like, is it like, like what aspect of, um, of anything engaging with our world that the kingdom of God should not have any perspective on, you know? And so that's, I don't know what kind of Christianity do we have where there's something that's like off limits. I mean, you know, it's kind of like, you know, like, you know, you and I went to Thailand to understand a little bit more about the uh, human sex trafficking deal. That's such a, a evil situation going on. And um, I mean, we'd be like, nah, let's just ignore that. And let's just talk about purity. You know, let's talk about, you know, but actually not really understanding the circumstances and situations that it's causing this tremendous amount of like human trafficking. Uh, but like, let's just only talk about like abstinence or what, you know, whatever the case may be. And, you know, like, I mean, yeah, we should talk about abstinence. We should talk about like holiness and all that type of activity. At the same time, we need to understand that, hey, this is an economic issue. You know, this is, this is a whole lot down that road, right? Like, I mean, so I just think that's a really, um, that's a really challenging um, uh, uh, situation. I think a lot of times people, the colorblind approach is actually coming from a, a well-intentioned place. It's coming from what Dr. King says, you know, um, I hope that one day my children, four children will not be judged by the color of the skin, but the content of the character. But that's just like the color of the skin said, hey, what restaurants you could go to, what bathroom you could use, what hotel you could sleep in, what, what water fountain you could drink from. He was like, hey, I, I want to get rid of that. But if you read King's writings and, and not just the memes of the people select out, you know, he talked about a beloved community where each person is valuable who they are. It's a very kingdom perspective, right? That we're all image bearers and we need to bring that into to, to, um, our communities. And so that's a that's something that um, I think is very, it's a very Christian ideal to, to do this. And then here's the other thing. Um, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So our access to receiving the grace of God is key upon our level of confession, right? Like our level of revelation of understanding the depth of sin is key to the understanding, like, like um, to, the, to the level that we can kind of receive and understand the grace of God. You know, this is kind of illustrated in the story of the, the woman that, that um, broke uh, her alabaster bar, box and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped it with her, her hair. And what Jesus talked about was like she, she was in revelation of her sin and shame and like to, to what level. And you had other folks around who were, who were like deeper theologically than she was, quote, unquote. But they, they missed it because they didn't see themselves as being that bad, you know. They didn't see themselves being as bad as she was, you know? And so, so there's a level of like, of missing out for understanding the revelation of God when you don't understand how bad racism is, right? When you don't understand how bad this, the, the systems that uh, America has been legally racist for, four, for, for, more, for more centuries than it has been in trying to make a corrective towards uh, uh, racism. I've only been doing a corrective since like 1968. Like, like, they said, they said, hey, overtly, we shouldn't be able to do this. Uh, you know, I, I, if you continue to look and see how laws work from 1978 during the 70s, 80s, the 90s, there's still the laws in place, both for Democrats and Republicans, who have done significantly racially biased laws. They just aren't as overt and say, like, 
these laws are for black people or for Hispanic people or whatever racialized categories. But the more that you go into it, you realize like, man, this is really messed up. And this is the depth of redemption and grace that we need. And we're missing out when we don't go that deep. Mm. Wow. And so just quick follow up on that. If I were to talk to you and say, hey, David, just so you know, I don't think of you as a person of color. I just think of you mm. as a fellow human being. Yeah. Um, you probably know what I would be trying to communicate, but what, yeah. are, what are you hearing when I say that? I mean, the reality of it is, is like, maybe a way of thinking about this is that like none of us um, made a choice of what skin we were born with. And none of us made a choice uh, today on what that skin color has meant legally and culturally in America. And so we could, I could ignore what it means or doesn't mean like technically, I mean, like, I don't like wake up every day thinking I'm a black man. Like when I'm in my house, like my, my blackness um, generally means something outside the house. Right. Like, you know, and I have to navigate. So, so part of the deal of it is that like, Hey, I know that you're probably, if you were to say that Pete, like you're saying that from a, a well-intentioned space. Cause you realize, Oh, okay black like the, the skin color has meant something in our society that has been negative and so let me try to correct that and to do something but then if you kind of like ignore what it's meant historically and present reality and culturally then it's kind of like hey there's a there's a surface level of our engagement because the reality of it is for me like for us to kind of for me to bring my full self into my my um relationship with you i have to share my experience as a black man and my wife as a black woman and, and us together as a black family and how we deal with the world um and i had a friend of mine that was like hey i just don't like let's talk about like how you and your wife are doing and i just kind of don't really want to talk about kind of how you experience it as a black man i'm just like i can't like i'm not trying to like bring this up like i don't want to be a person having to bring these things up in this particular way, but that's just part of the story. It's kind of like me asking my wife, hey, you know, I'd like to get to know you as Joy, but I don't want to know, like, which, how you experience life as a woman. Like, that, that would be crazy. Like, you know, and like, part of her, her reality is, is her experience as a woman, you know? And so, you know, I, I think we can't parcel things out. And, and, and it, I guess, theoretically, maybe it'd be nice if we could um, for the negative stuff, but it's also the way the image of God is locked up. So I don't think we really want to anyway. Yeah. No, and the picture we get in at the end uh, or in the new creation, right? Is that every tribe, tongue, nation yeah. is gathered around the throne of Jesus, even in heaven. Uh, yeah. There are races, there are colors. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the beauty of God's creation, um, yeah. not to be ignored, but to be celebrated. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you've been to Central Oregon, David. You brought uh, Urban Doxology, um, your band out uh, a couple years ago. So you know how white it is here. And uh, <laughs> the truth is we just don't have that many people of color, uh, especially African-Americans um, in our city of Bend. And so sometimes for us, uh, having an extended conversation about race um, and racial issues in a largely white church, in a largely white city, in a largely white state, 
it sometimes it just feels like, yeah, it's interesting and important, but it's not really our conversation, right? Yeah, like, yeah. shouldn't we be focusing more on issues that are more pressing and relevant to us locally? And especially as a church, like, let's focus on maybe issues of class or poverty or uh, whatever else that we do see in our cities. Um, and maybe spend less time talking about something that really doesn't feel like it has that much to do with us. So um, yeah. what do you think about that as somebody who trains churches in, in race and reconciliation? Yeah, I mean, so, so part of one of the things, the word Arabah means a foretaste of things to come. And so what the way it's used in the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit was given to the church as a foretaste of the kingdom of God that's to come. Well, the world doesn't get the Holy Spirit. What the world gets is the church. And so we're like a tribe before you buy policy, right? And so we should be a foretaste of the kingdom of God that's to come. And so there should be like the reconciled kingdom of God. And that's kind of one of the expressions that we are talking about, trying to lean into Christian communities being reconciling communities. And so, you know, when, when um, Jesus' disciples, after Jesus revealed that he was the Messiah after the resurrection, they asked the question, it says, Jesus, when are you going to make Israel great again? And you know, that's the same question that we always ask, right? When are you going to make our people great again? Or, um, and Jesus was like, you know, they asked him, hey, when are you going to restore the kingdom to, uh, uh, restore the kingdom to, of Israel back to us, right? But here's the thing. Jesus was like, hey, your people are my people, but your people aren't my only people. Like, like you're just only thinking about using yours. Mm. This is what I want you to do. Go to Jerusalem. I want you to pray. And uh, I'm going to give you power to proclaim my kingdom, to bring, bring my kingdom on earth in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the world. So I think like part of like Christian communities and being a reconciling community, being a foretaste of the kingdom of God, is that, yes, you want to be praying and asking for, your, for God's kingdom to come and bend, you know? But then what does Judea look like, that next region, right? But then also Samaria, Samaria is that community that you kind of grew up that you shouldn't like or be like or have these kind of stereotypes against. And other most parts of the world are just like these places that you would, don't, you would never see or even touch or could even imagine. People, the places that Paul went, people in his community that he grew up in wouldn't have, um, like Tarsus, they, they wouldn't have known about uh, Rome or uh, Ephesus or like any of these kind of like, cities you know and i think they're i think you think about like local slash global ministry sometimes people call it local these are things that are really important to do when you ask this question i think reconciliation is such an important important part of the gospel right it's uh, it's a important expression of that and so you should be thinking about what does it look like to be a reconciling community both in our jerusalem and our judea who's our samaritan where's the other most parts of the world and so, you know, as you start to ask that question, you also want to look at this, like, don't just start today in 20, like 2020 or um, uh, was it where June 21, 2020. Like, Ben is the way that it is by design. Like, it looks like a resort by design, you know, and, and there are definitely some class issues. Um, Robert Putnam actually illustrated Ben to talk about gentrification in his book, Our Kids. And I would highly recommend folks read that book in general, because I do think class is something that you should really look into, you know, um, and, 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 and actually it kind of my ethos 
my theology, I believe what, what Jesus, well, said, not Paul says in Christ, there's no male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. I think what way I interpret that text is to say is that there are in the, in the empire, there's always going to be oppressive systems across gender, class, and ethics, and ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. And so in the kingdom, that shouldn't be the case. In the kingdom, there should be like, the fruit of the kingdom is like the unity and diversity and the equality that's being expressed. And so for me, I'm always like looking to see like, hey, it's easy for us to fall short in gender, class, and, and, and ethnicity um, because that's the way it works in the empire, right? So in the kingdom, are we really being a foretaste in these areas? That's 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 kind of how I I read that. And so think about that in 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 Bend. Think about that in Oregon. You know your region. Um, think about that your country around the world. Now here's the thing. Especially like with Oregon, if you live in Oregon, you don't get off the hook with this because Oregon literally was a state designed to be a white utopia. Like that's what the state is like. So the reason why you don't have a lot of people of color in those spaces, and, and, and the one people of color that you do have are the ones that are there to like help serve and to cultivate the land and to, and to do service. And there's a class dynamic that's happening that was like that by design. So you're not to blame for that. You are not to blame for that. You, you, you know, none of us were here to make those decisions. But as Christians, we need to be responsible for it to kind of bring a foretaste of the kingdom of God in this particular area. So what does it look like for you to say like, hey, in my practices is what I do in my vocation and my family and my church, where I pray, where I work, where I play, like where, where am I going to um, be a foretaste of the kingdom of God to engage in this space? Who are people we're going to partner up with to begin to, 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 to engage in some of the reconciling of all things and particularly in the area of race, but my state and then my local, my state, uh, uh, literally designed it for it to be a white utopia. And do the research, y'all. It's, it's all there, you know. And then, and then Ben became a place um, that was designed to kind of be this like playground for people in Silicon Valley. And it, and when you look at Silicon Valley, uh, Richmond, California, is the way that it is by design. You, you can read about this in the book, um, The Color of Law where you know that kind of goes to all our cities were designed with 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 one thing in mind if i had a black son and pete had a white daughter they did not want our <clears throat> in the 1930s and the 1950s when we were building most of our cities they did not want our, our kids to grow up to get married and to uh fall in love and to fall in love get married have a, a mixed race baby so they designed our cities like railroad tracks and and industrial zoning and highways. You can look at cities and see where certain people are supposed to live. And that's because cities designed it that way. Mm. So us kind of like, you know, so we either as a church can be a reflection of the brokenness in our society, or we could look and see how the sinful nature of the empire has implanted certain things. And we can be a countercultural witness um, to, to this if, if, if we are willing to do the work. Mm. So helpful. Well, David, we're running out of time, unfortunately. I'd love to keep talking for a few more Thanks, hours. Sir. But uh, as as we're wrapping up this teaching series, um, what we really don't want is just to kind of say, hey, that was an interesting few weeks, and now let's move on to the next thing, right? And 
that's always, you know, the danger of, you know, moments like this that are happening culturally is, you know, at some point, <clears throat> especially for white people, it's no longer in the news and we kind of are able to move on to the next hot issue or something like that. Yeah. And um, Jesus said that anybody who hears his words but doesn't put them into practice is building their house on the sand. Um, we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of it as well. Yeah. And so um, I mentioned I was on a call this week and heard a, a female pastor from Chicago say, every time a black person gets shot, white people start a book club. <laughs> like we don't know what else to do other than try to educate ourselves and it's not right. that educating ourselves is bad but educating ourselves so that what um so could you share with us what are some practices that we could adopt both individually and as a church community that would contribute both to our ongoing formation as well as uh the healing of the world and the seeking of Christ's kingdom. What does that look like That's on the good. ground? Well, I think one of the things is to realize, like, the American church, I mean, the majority, I would say, of when you look at church history in America, um, race is actually a uniquely Christian problem. Mm. I'm not saying oppression is. I'm also not saying that um, ethnic hierarchy um, is like you, you see that in almost every society, but the unique expression of oppression as race is a uniquely Christian problem. Mm. So in India, you got the caste system, you know, and in England, you got the crown, and and uh, in Nigeria, you have um, uh, tribalism, and you know, there's there's all different types of like ways of oppression and, and division happens. But what happened in America was you know, we said, hey, like manifest destiny, like this is the promised land. Uh, um, some people are human and are, are, are others because we had a Christian consciousness. We knew theologically, like our forefathers and brothers and sisters, um, they they knew that you can't just enslave people, you know, and just take people and, 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 and it'd be okay. So what they did was to say, oh, well, some people are human and other people aren't, which is not scripture, you know, and then they said like, these lands are ours and, and and so and 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 it's predestined for some people to be owned by other people some people have dominion other people not to have dominion so that those are all like uniquely christian like a co-opting of christian theology hmm. so to hear the word and to not do it particularly as you really relate to the issue of race we got to realize in america when it comes to issues of race we have hardly any moral authority now you could point to like folks that like are like to like some of the Puritan, I mean, not Puritans, the uh, Underground Railroad, some of the Anabaptist folks, and or to a Dr. King or some folks. But I mean, the majority these were this was like a remnant fighting against Christian brothers and sisters who um, had a distorted theological and were bowing down to mammon, you know, to money and and. And if they weren't bound on the money, they were just like had a distorted theology and was part of the status quo in this particular space. And so to hear the word and not to do it in this particular context, you realize that like there's a lot of um, there's a foundation of saying that we've built on as a country, as, as Christian brothers and sisters in this country. And a lot of young people, t 
ethics is the new apologetics and ethics is the new evangelism for young people these days young people are not rejecting jesus because they don't agree with the four spiritual laws or or they haven't heard a great apologetic answer young people are rejecting jesus because of the ethics that they see um being not being walked out amongst mm -hmm. like uh christians and folks and so i've never seen our ministry as an apologetic or an evangelistic ministry but we've had a lot of folks come to faith or I mean, even I got a testimony of some folks that were struggling um, with their faith recently. And, and it was literally us, like the way that we engage as Christians, you know, has been some of the ways that they, they started to follow Jesus, you know? So I, I just, I just think it's really, really important for those who are listening uh, to, to really understand how important this is. Like we just can't ignore this issue, you know? And so, Yes, it might feel overwhelming. And so I want to give you a couple of like hooks to, to engage in. Uh, number one, it's like, what can you do today? Well, the first thing to do is to listen. Listen to God. What is God telling you right now in this moment about this particular issue? Like not what you feel, not reaction, not to say, man, Pete's a terrible pastor because he's having this conversation. Pete potentially could be a terrible pastor. We don't know, you know, but like, <laughs> but what is God saying though in that, you know, you can still have a terrible pastor and God speaks to you and God tells you like, like, Hey, this is what I want you to do about this. Ask God about it too. Listen to your brothers and sisters uh, uh, who come from a different experience than you. That's the other person you need to listen to and see like, all right, Lord, you know, I, I hear, I think I hear what this brother and sister is saying. Let me listen to what you're saying about how should I respond to that. And third is like, listen to the state of your soul. What kind of emotion are you experiencing right now? Begin to ask why. Ask God, why am I feeling this way? And I think you begin to have some discernment. Like, you could do that right now. And it's very moment. You just take the time and you just do that. The second thing you do, maybe like a week from now, and over this next week, is begin to learn. Begin to listen and learn and start a learning process. Like, it's amazing how it, it, it just particularly is really important amongst white folks. Because one, as white people not really having to like have to really think about the issue of race, might learn about something and can form opinions like super, super quick and can even become like authorities to speak on something super, super quick, you know? And so, you know, and this can get you in trouble, you know, but like, I say, like, it's, it's one thing if you um, are just, like, learning, you make a sick long learning process. Like, I'm totally fine with that. But don't feel like you got to, like, wake up yesterday and be, like, uh, start a ministry tomorrow, right? <laughs> like, like, just be on a learning process. Then a month from now, begin to, like, take some inventory. Begin to see, like, hmm, what are some assets that I have? like what relationships, financial, vocational, um, things, skill set, what assets do I have? What opportunities do you see with the things that I've been like listening to God about, listening to my neighbors about, listening to my soul, uh, um, uh, learning over this last week, month? What are some things that I, what's some opportunities that I see? Just write those things down. But this is really, really important for white brothers and sisters, especially white brothers and sisters. Take an inventory of your poverty. What are the things that you're missing because of the lack that you like uh, of cross-cultural relationships that you have? 
like because of the fact you live in a predominantly white i mean like ben is like an extended resort to me like it's like like it's hard like a city like it's like the most beautiful place i mean it's just crazy like it's just i'm like what there's a place that's like this now that's a now you feel like oh man we got all the things well what kind of poverty are you experiencing as a result of living in a made kind of tailored place like that mm-hmm. what kind of poverty have in your relationships in your spiritual formation and your understanding of the world list those things out but particularly it's really hard for like white people who are um kind of relatively well like economically stable to understand and see their poverties but it's there because we all like i mean like david benner talked about this is like, like no matter what love your mom or your parents gave your mom or dad gave you that love was insufficient right hmm. no matter all the things that you have how privileged you may be or not be something is like missing you know and, and so take an inventory of that then as you're kind of doing this and you know do this for about a year or so but like in a year think about like hey what's some kind of cultural artifact can i make or like what kind of culture bait can i engage in and let me do this cross-culturally let me do this with somebody that's like different than me but and, and i kind of work on this and that's kind of you talked about urban oxology you mentioned that i basically created this internship program to raise up leaders but then also to shape the theological imagination songwriting and the magic of the program the eight week that we're doing is that we got people of different economic backgrounds racial ethnic backgrounds together to work on creating something this is like a theologically rich worship song that they're creating but the magic isn't the worship song it's really the working together to create a cultural artifact towards reconciliation like that is where the transformation is happening and so begin to think about what can you do in your family or your own vocation in your church. And the last thing is, is um, we overestimate what we can do in a tweet. We overestimate what we can do um, in a year. We underestimate what we can do in 10 years. So if you partner with somebody over 10 years, if you began to do something over like 10 years and see like, hey, what is it that our family, my own personal life, my church, what can we do over 10 years to help make and change and make a difference. Um, you know, I think that's something that's th- those are ways that you can go on that journey, be, be transformed and be, and be part of the transformational process that's needed. Mm. Oh man, that is so helpful. Uh, David, thank you so much for your, your time this morning, man. What an honor to, uh, to get some time with you. And uh, again, man, I appreciate you, uh, your heart, your work um, that you've been doing for a long time and, um, and really appreciate what Airbon is doing as well. If, uh, if folks in our congregation wanted to um, connect with you and maybe even consider supporting the work of Airbon, um, is that something you'd be open to? <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, because the reality of it is, hey, y'all, we do this when it's in the news, it's not in the news, you know? And um, there are a lot of organizations that aren't kingdom oriented that have better marketing advertising budgets than we do. And so, like, literally, if you're like, hey, man, I'd like to do something, like, if you could support us monthly or you can, like, hit us up and be like, hey, what's an initiative? I mean, we, we have to grow. Um, I mean, the demand is beyond what we could do right now. And so like literally saying like, hey, I'd love to give a large gift to kind of help y'all do this work more online, you know, or 
because you know I, I can't tell you you know Pete talked about this earlier like how I'm like on every podcast or like new thing like you know we we really have to be able to scale you saw my colleague Elena last week you know and so partnering up this way would be uh, wonderful and um, and I found that people who have been with us over the years they they have deeper deeper conversions than those that kind of like hear one talk or sermon or whatever the case may be yeah where your treasure is there your heart is also right yeah well antioch i do want to encourage you we've got the link in the chat on the zoom call and uh, that'll take you to um a giving page for arabon and uh, would you please consider uh becoming monthly monthly partner with david and arabon even if you can only give uh, 10 bucks a month um, or for those that are able to make a significant special gift or monthly gift. I think that's one of the ways if we're going, what can we do? Well, one of the things we can do is to support uh, folks like David that are doing this work uh, 365 days a year. So um, please go check that out. Uh, David, thanks again for being with us. Uh, appreciate you, man, and blessings as you navigate the world of Walmart down there. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Antioch, I uh, love you guys. We're going to close with a song from Urban Doxology, which is uh, a group that uh, came out of the internship program that David, uh, David heads up. And so they're, they're going to bring us out. Um, so uh, stick around and, and uh, listen to that. But go in peace. Antioch, I love you guys. And uh, we'll see you soon. To the last great night when my God searched for the light. When he saw the red resting on the post, then my God passed over us. Can you hear the children sing to the mighty King of Kings? They said, I am covered, I am covered. When my God passed over me. I'm alive today, my sins erased, for the blood has covered me. We prepared to march out of Pharaoh's reach, always dressed in aid and haste. When the out came, God delivered us, then we were no longer slaves. Can you hear the children sing to the mighty King? I am covered, I am covered, for my God passed over me. I'm alive today, my sins erased, for the blood has covered me. Christ died for the world. He became the Lamb, perfect sacrifice, freeing every boy and girl. Can you hear the nation sing to the mighty King of Kings? They said, I am covered, I am covered, for my God passed over me. 
I'm alive today, my sins rest. For the blood has covered me. For the blood has covered me. For the blood has covered me. 